Welcome to Future of School, the podcast, where we amplify all the key stakeholder voices in education. Students, teachers, parents, policy influencers, entrepreneurs, and more. And engage in meaningful discussions about what it means to create an education system in which all students can reach their unbounded potential. You'll hear diverse perspectives discussing the power and promise of technology, true successes in personalized learning, and what it means to prepare the qualified workforce of tomorrow. Enjoy today's episode. The future of school and learning in America is a question that a lot of people are asking right now. What is school going to look like? How is learning going to be transformed with school reopening plans and new locations and ways of teaching and learning? What the future looks like for our K-12 education system is more than a question, it's a concept. It's a belief and we see it evolving into a movement with this energy around it of, we wanna be a part of that. We want to help rethink and reconceptualize what school looks like for our kids. So there's a few components that we're seeing emerge as being critical elements of effective, strong schools of the future. The first one is flexibility and resiliency. What are schools doing to build into their instructional designs and into their programs uh, a flexibility that will allow them to respond to the times? The second is personalized learning for kids. The one-size-fits-all teacher directing instruction to students, we're moving away from that very quickly. We're seeing the value in customized, differentiated instruction for kids. And that's made possible through the third element, which is the smart use of technology. We know that computers will never replace teachers. Instead, we want to equip teachers with the tools and resources they need to be able to have their programs, have their classrooms, have their content areas catalyzed to most effectively provide support for students to engage in learning. And finally, The future of school and learning will be dependent upon the ability to integrate student choice, embracing what kind of courses, classes, and learning environments work best for students. That's going to be critical because too often that's gone to the wayside, and now we're seeing teachers and students at the heart and core of the teaching learning process. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Stick around for our featured interview and more great segments coming up. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Ray McNulty. Ray is a beacon of light in the education world. He's always positive and looking to the future. Ray has been an educator since 1973, and he's worked at all levels. He's been a district, state, and school superintendent. He's worked as a teacher, a principal, and commissioner of education in the state of Vermont. Ray possesses a unique set of educational experiences, and it's all culminated to allow him to give really robust presentations at the state, national, and international levels on the importance of accepting 21st century changes and raising performance standards for all. And then he's been doing this work for many years. Ray is an inspirational speaker, a visionary leader, and one of my favorite colleagues. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks, Amy. That made me really feel wonderful during this um, pent-up time of COVID-19 virus. I feel great today. Wonderful. I love that. Thanks. Well, it's, it's so great to have you here because school transformation and the need for it is not new to you by any means. You wrote a brief 
called Creating the Schools and Learning We Need in Class and Online. And that was from 2013, which was over seven years ago. So you've been talking about the need for change in education for many years. What, what was the eye-opening moment that you had when you said as an educator, we really need to shift the way that we think and redesign teaching and learning? Well, I think um, it's a deep question, but I, you know, it, to, in my head, it's, uh, there's a simple answer to that from my perspective, which is that when I finally realized as a lifelong educator, I was, um, I was thinking that, my, that our jobs in education were to teach children. And, um, but then when you leave school, um, you learn so much more outside of school. So I started to really think of the, the real task of education is to create learners, to create people that can go out in the world and face unknown, unpredictable things and solve them or at least feel competent in that environment. And uh, so, you know, it was all about, in my mind, our job is really about learning and everybody being a learner. And uh, I grew up in inner city Boston and I, um, my mom graduated sixth grade and my dad did graduate high school, but no one ever went to college. And, and you know, I was the first one to do that. But, and I thought, well, this is neat. But, you know, I think the teaching profession, when I started teaching, I kept thinking, I'm just teaching them content and I want them to want to learn on their own. And um, so that's been something inside of me for a long time. And um, the idea of there are so many ways for us to be able to learn these days. It's incredible. That's kind Great. of, it probably was in the, you know, I'd say 1980s, I started really talking a lot about that. Yeah, you're, you're well ahead of the game and you're a great thought leader right now for us. I was reading a story that you shared that impacted me a lot, Ray, and it was um, when you were superintendent at um, the school that, that your twins graduated from and it was around um, something that a student said to you when you handed him his diploma. Yeah. And I think yeah. it will... It was sad, but happy. So if you can share what that experience did for you in terms of your passion for this. Yeah, that, that was a game changing. It was 1995 and my twin sons were graduating from high school. And I knew all the, uh, I was a superintendent. I knew all the students that came across the stage, not because I was superintendent, it was because I had two kids in that class. And um, you get to know everybody. And, and this one um, young gentleman, his name is Scott, um, was at my house the night before. Um, I, I used to uh, kid him all the time because he, he told great stories. He was a wonderful kid. Um, not a great student by academic standards, but just a wonderful kid. And um, on graduation day, I handed him his diploma and I said, you've got to be really proud of yourself today, Scott. He gave him his diploma and he looked me in the eye and he said, he called me Ray. He said, Ray, I'm not. And, um, and he took the diploma and walked away. And it struck me like, his graduation day, you should be happy. And um, when, the grad, when the diplomas were all given out, kind of speeding the story up, and I raced over to him as he was heading to his parents, and I said, what's up? You know, why aren't you excited about graduation? He said, Ray, I'm in the bottom 10% of this class. I've got nothing to be proud of. And what it, what it, you know, what it said to me is, we rank all these kids on graduation day from one to 216. And we tell them here's the best and you know, down near the bottom. And um, the thing about Scott was that, you know, in order to be the best in the school, you had to be good at everything. Scott was an amazing artist. 
he was so talented. And he came to my school district with a gift and we didn't recognize it. We recognized four English, four math, three science, three social studies. And we ranked and sorted all our kids by the academic standards. And, um, you know, that, that was a big miss. And that caused me really to rethink our school. And I, I called teachers together after that graduation. I was in tears that day. And I had two sons that graduated. And I just felt like I've, I've missed the boat. That um, we, you know, we as educators aren't really addressing the, the special talents each kid brings to us. How do we get that out of every one of our students? So, you know, that next year we opened, a, an, we opened an academy for designed around the arts where we taught everything. We taught math through the arts. We taught science through the arts. We opened up another one that was a technology center and we taught the kids that were the gamers and the kids that loved to play with technology. We, we taught them English in that environment. We created some different models for learning because it's about learning. Yeah, you very quickly shifted from the one-size-fits-all factory model to one yep. that yep. values the different ways that kids learn and the things that they're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's, when I look back at it, it's like, why didn't I see it? But you know, we're so surrounded by, we're kind of like lemmings that, you know, like, this is what we do. We go to first, we go to kindergarten, we go to first grade, we go to second grade, we go through this process. And, and, and people say, well, these are the standards for that grade. These are the standards for that grade. And we standardize individual, you know, we, we create these standards around everybody who's different, you know. And when I think of Scott, Scott, by the way, was incredibly successful when he left school because he was so talented and he, he, he built his own business. I mean, he was, he was amazing, but in school he wasn't, you know, and it was sad. It was really sad for me. Did you ever have the chance to share with him that your, the models that came after he left were due to the impact he had on you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, my, uh, my sons still communicate with him occasionally. He's, uh, you know, what was really interesting, he adapted on the outside because he, he loved the arts and he was a, he, you know, he could do anything, uh, give him a pencil. You know, if you looked in his books, you'd see pictures he drew on all of the science books, and math books, you know. He was very talented, but... Um, but when he graduated, there was still, remember, some of you might remember, printers and people that, you know, if you had to have, like, you know, invitations, you went to a printer shop to have them. <laughs> and they did that. But, you know, he was in that mix where things were starting to change. And so he took a course at the community college in, you know, graphic design using technology. And before you knew it, he was on fire. And he, he created his own business. And he's done incredibly well. Um, He's changed with the times and schools didn't. And um, yeah. it, it's just so important to be a learner. He was confident about what he knew, which was, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it's a great um, development of grit and perseverance for kids, right? That Seth um, Godin talks about that in his books and so does yeah. Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers. He talks about kids that have learning disabilities when they're in school. They did a study and um, they identified the compensatory abilities and skills they cultivated in mm -hmm. a positive way to be able to overcome um, the stigmatisms and, uh, you know, challenges that they, they end up um, in some really creative roles in their lives because and it speaks to the when something bad happens or when we're challenged, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's what we do with it. And, and we're all facing that right now in society. Well, I remember, I remember when I was doing some of my work, I was looking uh, at a research that piece that was done at Boston College on valedictorians. And if, um, and, you know, you would think that valedictorians, you know, 
they should be ruling the world, but they're not. Um, they're very good at school. They're excellent at school. Um, but school is highly predictable. The world isn't. And so it's a really different kind of environment. And, you know, um, you think about all the people that are incredibly successful out there. You don't find too many valedictorians. You find a lot of valedictorians that would like to be educators, and that's because they love school. But, you know, the people, the, the, the social intelligence that they need to be successful in the business world, all these different things, it's, it doesn't really match the school environment. And that's one of the things, you know, our schools are, are not designed to, for our students to be successful outside of school. They're designed for our students to be successful in school. Yeah. Outside is so different. So different. Well, and that's why you're such a strong advocate for using creative approaches to meeting students' needs. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, how do school leaders and educators respond to the guidance that you give when you're presenting and working with schools? Well, one of the things I have, how do they respond is, um, I mean, there's a mixed message out there. There are people that, I mean, you know this as well as anyone, and um, you can walk into a school and um, there are those people that want continuity and there are those people that want change. And that's the, that's the makeup of every school in this country. And one of the things that we talk about, when I, I talk about when I work with school districts, is I talk about what's called polarity. And um, that, you know, you need both. You need continuity and change. And it's not one group against the other. You gotta find out what are the things between the two groups that you can make some hay on. So, so you know, you get, you don't pit the groups against each other. You have the groups talk about, you know, what are the things that we really need to keep in school? What, is, what are the critical things that need to be in the school of the future that we currently do? And what are the things that people that want, are looking for change? What are those things? And how do we start to blend that together? And part of it is really getting people to talk about you know, why we do what we do. Um, I look at schools these days and I think, you know, I'm one of the people that out there is saying, you know, literacy is, you know, a lot of people talk about math and I get it, math and science, but literacy in my mind is the trump card, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to read, write, and speak if you want to be a learner. Um, and that's what's critical. And I think, you know, building strength in the areas of literacy will allow our students um, I think, to acquire the skills they need to be, learn, be a learner. Um, and that's what's critical in, in many schools and getting schools to agree that, look, it's not about the content as much anymore. Um, I can find content everywhere. Um, yeah. I, I really need to be able to be a learner. And yeah. It's critical. Yeah, I think we saw that in the, this spring, right? We're in this yeah. new phase in our society where you would be, there was definitely frustrations and challenges that schools and parents faced, but there was a lot of ingenuity. You would hear stories of kids learning through, you know, recipes that on YouTube and then being able to spend time in the garage with their uncle rebuilding a carburetor. And so really right. tapping into their passion pursuits. And, you know, it's it's been... You know, what's, I always try to look for the positive in things. COVID-19 and this, this movement where students had to be in control of their own learning all of a sudden, I mean, this has been an accelerant to many of our students. We're, I'm, I'm talking to super, I talk to groups of superintendents every week. We pull them together. We have conversations. So many of them are saying, we've got kids that have never done well in school that are doing amazing hmm in this environment. They are taking to it. Just turn them loose 
And if they find the right video on, on, on YouTube or something, and they're off and running, they're, they're learning on their own. Some of the best things I've seen schools do is ask students, you know, what is it that you want to learn? And start learning it and documenting it. And kids are doing amazing things. Then we have students that are, and this, they're the valedictorian type, and I kind of beat them up, but they like to be told, um, you want me to write a paper justifying the South's position in the Civil War? How many pages do you want? And, if, <laughs> and the, if, the, if the teacher says, well, you know, just do it the, any way you want. No, no, no. Tell me exactly what you want. Tell me how you want me to begin it and how you want me to, I will give you what you want. And they, they're in an environment where they like to see the structure around them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not as adaptable. And let's face it, the world we live in today requires all of us to be more adaptable and agile than ever before. And um, that's the key there. We're going to see, we're going to see students come out of this. And, and I, I've been watching a district um, in Connecticut, uh, Middletown where uh, Michael Connor is and you know, they're creating a public school. They're creating three or four models for the kids saying, you know, if you want to take, you know, face-to-face classes or hybrid or a mix of, you know, online and in class, you can pick the subjects. Not They're trying to design an array where kids can select the pattern that they want. And I mean, these are the kind of things that I think are what we're going to see in the future of school. The future of school is going to look like multiple delivery models. And I might like science with a group of students, but, you know, we got another student in the room that loves science but likes to be on their own. That's okay. They can, they can do it online. Someone else can do it in a hybrid way. Um, multiple delivery models are going to be the way of the future. And I think we're going to see more and more public systems offering powerful online. And, that, and I don't mean the kind of online that somebody knows how to use, you know, uh, Google and they're going to throw their stuff online. I'm talking about sophisticated online systems with learning management systems that, you know, that are really robust and allow for high rigor. Excellent. So my last question for you is tapping into your words of advice. What words of advice would you give to anyone? It could be parents, it could be teachers or students that are concerned or feeling overwhelmed about the shifts and changes in our K-12 education system today. So the, so the first thing I'd say is, um, I take from the Oldsmobile commercial, this is not your dad's Oldsmobile anymore. You know, (laughs) this is not the world that you were educated in that moved at a pace uh, very slow and you had your, your, you know, seven periods a day or whatever it was. And um, it's a, it's really focus on your child's passion for learning. What is it that they, they want to learn and challenge our, you know, I think we should all start to challenge our students that, have a passion for something and say, well, find out more about it and let me know what you're learning. I mean, I think what we have to understand is it's not, um, it's, it's not a system that makes everything look the same. Uh, all of the learning, the pathways are going to be different for all of our students. And they might circle back. So it's not like they've, you know, it's a student might not like struggle with math for a while and might say, I really don't like math. Don't worry. If you, if they find something that they like studying and doing and math is part of that, they'll circle back in. It'll, it'll attract them. It's, you know, there's not a sequence. I, I, um, I just look at, at, at people like to see 
um, learning become a very structured, sequenced kind of thing. It's not that way anymore. There are times to accelerate and times not to. Great way to bring us to a close. Ray, it's been a supreme pleasure to be here with you today. I'm always learning from you and enjoy speaking with you. Thank you. Well, the same here, Amy, and the work you guys are doing and, um, you know, what we need in this world right now after this COVID virus, um, what we need is we really need an organizational, an organizational structure that's going to look at the, the structure of online, look at the structure of digital learning and provide good advice to parents and to schools um, because I think a lot of that has been mixed up during this, uh, during this transition to remote. But it'd be great if we had that happen. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm your host, Amy Valentine, CEO and Education Evangelist for Future of School, a public charity dedicated to mobilizing change in American K-12 education from a one-size-fits-all system to one that ensures all students reach their unbounded potential. And now, on to our next segment. Today we have Kier Butts, a sixth grade teacher from Baltimore City Public Schools with us. Kier was Teacher of the Year in 2019-2020, largely in part because of his passion for adopting technology in his classes, for his stellar mentorship of his students, and for his facilitation of great minds and wit and wisdom. Thank you for being here, Kier. I really appreciate it. It's good to one, see you again and uh, chat with you. I'm very excited about this. Fantastic. So we have five questions for you, and we're eager to hear your perspective on a variety of topics. So are you ready to, ready to roll? All good, yeah. Great. Kier, what was the first experience that opened your eyes to the potential of blended and online learning for your students? We used a lot of technology during the school year, so I'm fortunate to say that before March and switching to crisis or distance learning, you know, whatever term you choose, we'd been using technology and getting experience um, on the computers quite a bit. And just that aha moment with students working on research projects, the dexterity, right, or that fluidity where they could go back and forth and using technology and how it increased their knowledge and even their confidence, that opened my eyes to, you know what, I understand that this is, that we're in a crisis moment, um, but it's also a moment where we can do some really creative things and we can do this together. Uh, And that's relying on students and their savvy and their willingness to just want to try. And also me being humble enough to say, it's okay to try. And even as Miss Frizzle would say, right, like make mistakes, take chances and get messy. Excellent. Thank you. There's a lot of misperceptions and misnomers in the discussion about online learning that are out there. From your perspective, what is the one biggest thing that people don't understand or have a misperception around related to online learning? When it does come to online learning, we'll talk about maybe this in a twofold sense. For teachers, this is a lot of work. Uh, you can definitely make the argument that being online, the amount of time in front of a computer, the prep that you have to do, asking yourself, how does this content, how does this material translate virtually? It is a heavy lift. It is a heavy lift. We have to be prepared to invest in the hard work so that when we talk to students, we check in on their social and emotional health, we can get to the core of the heart work. For students, A big misperception is that 
because they're savvy with Fortnite or Xbox One or PS4, that it automatically translates online. And that's not always true in communities of color or underserved or other marginalized communities. Just because you have access to entertainment tech doesn't mean that you're using tech in the same way for academic purposes. So I think that the answer again is twofold. Students need to have a sort of tech savvy about them and it's incumbent upon teachers and families in the community to work together to make sure that tech witty, right, that tech equity is something that every student gets to experience. Teachers, again, also have to be humble enough that we have to change our practice, that we have to adapt. It's hard work, but the hard work is going to still be present, even online. Awesome. What's one strategy that you think every teacher should use? Thinking about... So I like to watch The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and I love that there are so many games that he plays, and he just engages the audience. There's a genuine love for his job and what he gets to do, right? Bring comedy to people every night so that they just get to laugh a little bit. I like to think of my job as a teacher in the same way. How can I make the content come alive and be engaging every day so that when my students log in, log on, or watch the video later, it's something that they want to do, right? That coming to my class and experiencing, li li sorry, experiencing literacy is something that is a get to do. It's not a have to do. That mindset really does help. Wonderful, thank you. When you consider what the future of school should look like for students, what comes to mind? The future of schools for students. One thing that certainly comes to mind is every group of student, regardless of how you want to classify them by color, creed, uh, gender orientation, and how they identify that every student has access and that every student has an opportunity to compete in the learning process and compete not in the sense that there are winners and losers. Like that's not what education's about. Competing in terms of participation, everyone has equitable access to the education process. Like that's where our life outcomes, our sort of joy, happiness, our, our, our purpose, that's where it comes from. It's incumbent upon teachers to be able to provide that, that we need to see ourselves as equity agents. Even though we're in a pandemic that has us in its grip, there's also a moment that is undeniable, both in terms of its creativity and in its possibility. That's pretty cool to be on the cusp or on the corner of creation and possibility. And we can cross that threshold. We have to be able to do it together. And we have to, we have to make sure that families feel that they're invited to do so and to do so with us. Glass is half full. Admirable, I love it. My last question for you is, what's the one big dream that you have about education that you'd like to turn into reality? One of the biggest uh, aspects or, focus, or sort of focus areas for me is thinking about how can we shift teachers and their mindset with respect to how we view what our job is. Teachers already wear a lot of hats, right? You know, sometimes you're de facto parent or guardian, uh, counselor, psychiatrist, you know, teacher. <laughs> but 
I think that we need to start seeing ourselves as equity agents. You know, we're at an inflection point, as many before me have said, in terms of where we're at with racial, ju- sorry, with racial justice and inequity. Teachers have an important role to play as gatekeepers of possibility, as gatekeepers of potential. We can help if we see ourselves as equity agents providing equitable outcomes for students, providing access and opportunity to students, building student knowledge around content areas that they might not have had exposure to and through no fault of their own. If we can start to see ourselves as equity agents, change our mindset, it's going to be a really cool day when we get to stand on the right side of history and say that we did this. We did this together and our kids are better for it. So well said and inspirational, Kier. Thank you for being here. We loved hearing your insights. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Amy. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. To learn more about Future of School, including our student scholarship program, innovative educator prize, and other efforts to highlight and accelerate purposeful innovation in schools, visit our website, futureof.school. Follow us on Twitter at futureof underscore school or connect with us on Facebook or LinkedIn.